the nonprofit MBA purpose is to provide new business insights and fresh creative ideas for executive directors and their teams that will help them improve their organization. Here is your host, Stephen Halasnik. Welcome, everyone. My name is Stephen Halasnik, and I'm co-founder and managing partner of Financing Solutions. Financing Solutions is the leading provider of lines of credit to nonprofits. Our line of credit program is easy, inexpensive, and costs nothing until used, making it a great cash backup plan for your nonprofit. If you'd like to learn more about the programs, please visit us at nonprofitmbapodcast.com. And if you decide to apply today, we will even give you a $250 credit on file. Or feel free to give us a call at 862-207-4118. Just remember the time to set up a line of credit is today, not when you actually have the emergency that comes up. And I would tell everybody that the nonprofit line of credit that we've been offering throughout the United States since 2012 has been extremely popular. It's really something that nonprofit, nonprofits have wanted for years and years and years. They weren't able to get it from banks, and now there's a company that does, and we're excited about that as well. Today, I am very excited to be speaking with Sherry Quam Taylor from Quam Taylor LLC. Uh, Sherry teaches nonprofit CEOs and their teams how to break free from traditional fundraising models and, act, and activities that limit growth and never secure enough money to fulfill their organization's vision. In fact, today's topic that we're going to be covering really, really addresses that uh, in detail. Uh, and, you know, Sherry, welcome to today's uh, uh, entrepreneur, I'm sorry, uh, nonprofit MBA podcast. I knew where I was. <laughs> yeah, hey, I didn't. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for asking. Good. Thank you uh, for having me. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's exciting and uh, I'm glad this is a good topic. I think all our topics are really, really good. Um, and in fact, when you introduced the topic to, to me, because you, you gave me a couple of topics, you know, I like that. I like when my guests give me a couple of things because, you know, some of them I know what's hot. You know, some of them I know it's questions that executive directors or board members should be asking themselves. Right. And other ones are ones that we haven't covered that are like, oh, I didn't know about that. I mean, I'm not an executive director. I deal with them all the time. But um, but so I found this one uh, topic today that we're going to cover when your nonprofit funding is plateauing. To me, it made a lot of sense. I was like, because not only do I see that happening in nonprofits, I also see that happening often in small businesses, and then you have to kind of regroup. So I, I really like that topic. Good. So you know, before we kind of get into the topic, tell us a little bit about your background. Sure. So I'm talking to you from Chicagoland today, where I've, I believe I'm starting the ninth year of my business, if I have the number, the numbers right. But I myself left my corporate career over a decade ago, probably 12 years ago now, and joined a nonprofit that I was super passionate about, uh, kind of beyond passion, one of those like, uh, you know, ultra uh, kind of uh, nonprofit people. And I, I, um, I was volunteering for them. And I, I eventually joined their organization. And I, I will say that I had a lot of early success in, in growing the organization. We tripled the revenue in about 18 months. But I will tell you that even in that time, in those years that I worked for the organization, who's doing awesome work, there were a lot of things that I saw the sector kind of suggesting leaders do that I felt was that it was actually keeping organizations from growing. 
you know, a lot of the misconceptions or things that, that we're told that, that really are rooted in that expectation that, that nonprofits should be able to do more on less. We should be able to solve world problems or, you know, change everything in a, in a pandemic year and just kind of figure out how to do it on a dime. And I actually really dug deeply into that and found that it was actually sabotaging a lot of organizations growth. And, and um, we'd had success probably coming around the other side and looking at the problem in a, in a, in a different way and, and pushed against a lot of the, the sector's misconceptions. And I quickly realized, and, and um, you know, I have an entrepreneurial spirit about me. I was like, I want to start my own business and come alongside other leaders who are, who are killing it, who are, you know, changing, uh, changing the world really, but they're, they're running great businesses. They're running great programs. Um, you know, they've, they've turned organizations from, from red to black and um, maybe have reorged, but they still needed more money and they needed more cash that was unrestricted so that they could put back, uh, you know, kind of gasoline in the, uh, in the overhead tank, right? Like we all need to be spending more on overhead to grow. And so I did just that. I, I started my own business uh, and haven't looked back. It's been a remarkable last even, uh, you know, 18 months. And, um, and I do just that. I help leaders really look at their funding model and how they actually could reach or exceed that true financing plan that does fully fund the organization, program admin and fundraising. And so it's been, um, it's my absolute privilege, um, especially this last 18 months. Like I've just never been more proud to work in this sector. Um, but I would also say we got to think differently. Like, you know, don't waste this crisis, right? Like this is the time where we need to, to really shift into a new way of thinking and a new way of funding because the money's there if, if we, if we do it correctly. So we'll talk about that today. Yeah. So, I mean, you give us some hints into this question I'm going to ask as to what the answer might be, but what is the most uh, obvious um, indicator that, uh, you know, and I think you're not, I think, well, let me just answer the question for it first. Uh, what's the most obvious indicator that a nonprofit is plateauing? Yeah, there's kind of three main ones, but let's, I already mentioned uh, my favorite word. So let's start with that one. Um, it, what's crazy is when I see, when an organization comes to me, you know, of course I quickly hop on their 990 and I oftentimes do see that their funding is just kind of bumping at the same number, or maybe it's growing slowly, but I hear so often that we don't have the funding to fulfill our strategic plan or we want to grow, but like, we just don't have that. So we don't know where we would get it. And what's interesting is I always go to a place that people typically, uh, I think don't expect me to go to first. And that's, are you spending enough? Are you investing into the overhead? My favorite word. <laughs> if anybody follows me on LinkedIn, they know I'm talking about overhead all the time. Um, Typically, where I look is, is that people are not investing enough into their admin and fundraising that actually helps them raise more money. And so, you know, so often we're like feeling like we can't, we can't spend that on fundraising or we can't spend that on admin. Every dollar has to go to program. Well, to a certain point, like I totally get that principle, 
but it's actually the number one thing that is keeping organizations from growing is that they're, they're afraid to spend. And uh, I just posted on this, speaking of LinkedIn, this article I'd heard on a, uh, this phrase on this podcast, and I'm telling everybody about it. And this, this gal was mentioning um, this concept of irrational frugality. Uh, I love it for my own, my own life too, but it was like, we have, you know, we've been taught for so many years to be irrationally frugal when growing our nonprofits. And we can't do that anymore. We're, we're growing, we're growing businesses that are changing lives. And so the spend is actually where I look. And I will tell you time and time again, and I always show a visual, uh, you know, when I'm coaching clients to show, hey, even though maybe your program percentage is 90%, if for a certain amount of time, you maybe brought it down to, you know, upper 70s or lower 80s, invested that back into learning how to secure more unrestricted gifts, learning how to launch your mid and major level gift program in a really strategic way, learning what you need to stop doing so you can start doing more high ROI generating activities, that within 24 months, you will be putting sometimes double back into program. So to kind of snap or kind of round up your, the, the answer to your question, don't be so caught, so caught up on the percentage because typically organizations, if they can spend less of a percentage on program and put that, that money into learning how to raise more money, it pays off every time. Do you think that it's uh that it's hard for people to ask uh, donors for unrestricted money. And that why that's why uh, you keep, they don't get as much money that goes to the administrative part of running a nonprofit. Yeah, I think people think it's hard, but I also feel like the first step of that is, you know, typically I find leaders of nonprofits, they're experts at something else. You know, they've never needed to know how to sit down and have an investment level conversation with the donor and lead them to a six figure ask or you know, larger. So it's almost like a, I don't know what I don't know. And so uh, I don't think I would know how to sit down with that person. And so, and I'm, and then, and so I won't do it. Right. Or, or I'll go apply for a, a grant. That seems easier. I can still sit at my desk and kind of fill out that form or have an event or, you know, any of those more transactional activities it feels easier, but it's actually what is oftentimes leading to an organization's funding plateau. And it certainly is leading to them oftentimes becoming way too dependent on one funding source. And uh, we saw that so much in 2020 where, you know, so many people came to me and said, Ooh, I was way too dependent on that event, or I was way too dependent on that one foundation. And now they've shifted their funding priorities or the government or whatever that was, um, you know, people, people don't know how to ask. Um, and then I think also like um, people assume fundraisers assume, which is not the truth that individuals only want to fund projects. They only want to fund something tangible that they can see. Now some do totally get it. We want to respect that. However, I see fundraisers successfully transition into this all the time. You have to understand how to lead a donor into a deep understanding 
of your organization's financial need and how all of the work together really, you know, adds up to the full need. And, and that, and you've got to be able to sit down and have that numbers based CEO to CEO stakeholder conversation. And, um, Stephen, so many people avoid that. And that's actually where the money is. Well, it's all about storytelling, right? And so, I mean, the executive director, I, I guess in, in almost every case, knows everything that's going on in the organization. So it's not like you're they're having to re-educate themselves on something they don't really know a lot about. Uh, is that true? Yeah. Storytelling is huge. And, and I always, uh, you know, I go straight to the numbers and the investment level conversation. And of course, you're talking about the problem you're solving and the stories of changed lives and the impact that people's gifts are having. Um, that's usually not the problem. The storytelling part that is the challenge is how do we tell the financial story of the organization's need? Right, which really brings us to the second second uh, reason I find that organizations plateau, and it's their approach to budgeting. You know, if I can kind of get a little dry for a second, um, you cannot sit down and tell the financial story and the financial need of your organization if you're not being honest in your budgeting process and you're not owning the true financial need of your organization. What do I mean by this? Well, oftentimes, and I'll, I'll, I'll be honest with you, it's a little bit of a test when I ask the question. Um, I'll say, Hey, you know, Stephen, so what, what do you, what do you need this year? You know, so they'll say, what's my budget? I'll say, yeah, sure. And I get a lot of, well, you know, last year we brought in 4.2. So we, I mean, we'd like to get to that $5 million mark, right? Where if we're really honest with ourselves, we have to ask ourselves, what is the financial need of the organization? And is it $5 million need? Okay. Well then let's, you know, not be holiday wish list and double it, but until you are honest with yourself and actually have a true financial need, then and only then can you a create an income plan that actually hits that need, right? And, and doesn't cause you to plateau, but then be able to sit in an investment level conversation and say, I'm so glad you asked. We actually have a $5 million need this year. Can I, can I walk you through what that looks like? And so budgeting is, uh, it's always, it's, it's always funny when I do a webinar or a podcast, I'm like, can we talk about budgeting? I love talking about budgeting because it really, a lot of these root types of planning and comfort level with investing and approach to budgeting is actually the thing that's keeping organizations from growing their funding, um, which is a, a crazy concept, but um, I see it all the time when we can be honest with ourselves and, and get out of that, we should be able to do more on less, get out of that mindset uh, and really honestly know our budget and need and be able to articulate that. You, you start growing into more unrestricted gifts um, and, uh, and that, that you can then invest back into overhead, which is what organizations need to grow. Yeah, I, I guess, too, there should be really two numbers that if someone says, like when you uh, asked that question just now from 4.2 to 5 million, mm -hmm. it focused on the top line, right? It's kind of, I, I would think that you should kind of give the person two numbers and that is, you know, I want to grow to 5 million, but I want to grow our, uh, our uh, unrestricted funds from 
uh, you know, from, you know, 5% to 10% of that. And, and even, you know, does unrestricted funds always mean that it's going back into the organization's uh, administrative stuff or it's unrestricted. So you can do what you want. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would love, so, so the model I teach, um, I, so I want all of my clients in a perfect world that their top 30 donors would be yielding between 50 and 75% of their revenue. And I want the majority of that to be unrestricted because that is how you grow that leaders need that level of flexibility in their revenue stream to invest in growth. When, so you, I'm sorry, say that again. Yeah. So I missed it. 50%? 50% oh, so, yeah. so should be top understood. 30 donors, I want to be resulting in 50 to 75% of your revenue. And, um, and, and that's for a number of reasons we can, we can talk about, but um, I, I want the majority of that to be unrestricted so that an opportunity comes your way. You have the cash. Um, a crisis comes our way. Hello, 2020. Yeah. You have the yeah. cash. Um, you can take advantage of, um, you know, a, a growth mindset all year long when you really have flexibility of cash. And I have, I have so many people coming to me who are multi-million dollar nonprofits who struggle with to pay uh, payroll because it's all restricted. They may have millions in the bank, but they do not have enough unrestricted cash coming in. What, what and, is the you know, when what is the standard that you see typically for uh, like an under five million dollar nonprofit? Mm-hmm. Um, what percentage is usually the standard f- that is restricted? Seventy five percent, ninety percent? No, I mean I would I would hate for seventy five or ninety percent to be restricted. Um, usually that's why people come to me because it's if they're in that position they're like whoa 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 we <laughs> we get to tip away the other way. You know what? It really depends on on their, their funding model. Like, are they getting tons of government grants or, or foundation contracts yeah. that are typically restricted? Um, but I will tell you the commonality, um, or I've yet to meet an organization who doesn't want more unrestricted cash, whether they're yeah. 1 million or, you know, $50 million client I have, um, they need more unrestricted cash so that they can run their businesses, right? They can invest in staff and invest in the types of things that help them raise more money. And so um, I wouldn't ever, you know, it's different depending on, you know, their missions or their models, yeah. um, their staff loads. Um, but the, the key, I, I will say confidently as much as possible. We want as much as possible unrestricted. Uh, and there's a way to do that. But that's where we go back to where we started the conversation of you have to, you have to invest in learning how to do that. If, if you do not know how to move out of very traditional transactional siloed fundraising approaches and really move into relationships, building relational base asks, having those sit down conversations in that CEO dialect to talk about how you're growing your unrestricted and why, and you know, the dreaded percentage conversation you have, that's actually causing your funding plateau that you're not leaning into those conversations that so many of us avoid and you can't avoid them. You, you you know, actually I find that individual major donors, they're dying for information. They're dying for us to sit and tell them, how are we funded? How are we growing? 
What is our financial need? What are the concerns? What are the opportunities? Um, and the best thing, like I think that that I would encourage even people listening, is to think about uh, most individual donors have are actually they're usually probably entrepreneurs or business leaders themselves or community leaders. They've had some some level of success in life. They've also had to sit down and probably ask an investor for money or have these. Uh, kind of like stressful numbers conversations with clients. So really see it as an opportunity to speak their language. It's a great opportunity. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with you, Sherry. Like if someone came to me uh, and said, you know, I'm looking for a hundred thousand dollars and let me tell you the biggest problem I'm having right now, I, you know, we've kind of plateaued on how much money we can raise based on the staff that we have. And I do need to be able to to you know bring on more staff to do this, this, and this. That's right in my language. I kind of you know, I get it, you right. know. Um, and I'd say is you know I believe if 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 we can provide that hundred thousand dollars unrestricted, and you know invested in in bringing on additional staff or, or whatever programs, sure. you know internal. Um, then I believe that we can get to the, you know, from 5 million to 6 million. So your, your investment of a hundred thousand dollars really turns into a million dollars. Now I'm going to tell you the only thing that's on my mind. I know it's and executive directors listening are not going to like it. And that is, is, well, what are you paying the officers or the executive director? Is, is her salary going to go up or is his salary going to go up? And, yeah, I mean, and, it, you know. Yeah, I so mean, that's the thing that I think that's what's on, what the public think a lot, you know. You know, sometimes so I will tell you, even you asking me that question, I couldn't tell you one of my clients who's had to really justify their salary. Um, yeah. Like I'm just sitting here thinking, like I, I had to run into that tons. Um, you know, and, and here's what I would say: like a lot of times. Um, I find that almost the, well, what if they ask me about my salary? Well, what if they ask me how much I'm paying? Or what if they ask me that percentage question? Or what if they question our rent now that we're in a virtual world? You know, you got to, you got to own, you're running a business, you know, what's best for your business. Um, don't assume, you know, kind of don't make the decision for the donor that they're having a hang up on that or about that. Um, going strong, you know, and if they ask questions, answer them in a strong way and answer them in an honest, transparent way. Um, I find that some donors, we have to be educators as leaders of nonprofits. We have to be educators, not only about our mission and our, our programs and all of those things, but we also have to be educators on, uh, on the misconceptions in the sector. Like if someone asks me that percentage question, I'd say, that's a great question. And let me tell you, um, let me talk a little bit about the misconception around that number, about that 90% program number. Let's talk about it. But for you to do that, you've got to know your numbers. You've got to, um, you've got to be able to sit down and really articulate that need and then how you're going to bring it in. And then once you do secure their, their gift, how are you going to report back on that? Um, it's, it's, a, it's a disciplined, transparent exchange you got to be prepared for it. You got to, you got to be able to yeah. look ahead. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I see it all this, you know, the thing is I see it all the time. That's why I'm so passionate about it. I see, I see leaders make that shift all the time and really bring donors into a deep understanding of 
no, actually, this is how we should do it. And then they're like, oh, well, that makes that makes so much more sense. Um, so push against some of those misconceptions that have just, you know, they just plagued the sector for for way too long. Um, yeah, I think that too. Uh, uh, you know, we we look at nine nineties as a company all the time, so we can see what the executive directors are getting paid. And we often see that, that they're being underpaid. Mm-hmm, <laughs> so right. the issue in the industry, yeah, the, in- the issue in the industry is when you get like the huge multi-billion dollar nonprofits that are paying the, you know, the head people a million, $2 million a year. I think that gets, you know, people hear that. And then they think, Oh, the nonprofit that's $5 million and less has that same, you know, paying the executive director a lot. Yeah. So, you know, let's, it's not a big deal, but, um, you know, I think you're, you're, you know, I think you're right. And that whenever you go on to any type of fundraising or gift or donor call, you have to kind of be prepared for the objections that could come up depending on what, and, yeah. you know, I'm sure people are pretty good at that. And, and I say, welcome them. Yeah. I, I love, you know, it's like, I think our, our gut is like, oh, I hope they don't ask me this. I was like, bring it on. Like, and not in a like, bring it on, but like, oh, let's have a discussion about that. There's nothing wrong, you know, like even if the salary thing came up, which, you know, again is, you know, people are skeptical. And, but I would tell you that, uh, I mean, just sitting here thinking, you know, my client who probably makes the most of all my clients, um, He's turned that the organization around in three years. They've never been bringing in more money. They're serving more kids than they ever have. Um, they're bored. They're a rock star bored. So guess what? They attracted that type of person who can grow the mission and grow the nonprofit and create a sustainable uh, solution and, and infrastructure. So is he worth a strong salary? I'd say so. I'd say so. And And frankly, He's never had more people giving to him. So it's like we really have to check ourselves on the things that kind of go in our mind that keep us from securing larger gifts that, you know, a lot of things like, well, individuals would never give a, an unrestricted gift. Well, if we have it in our mind, we probably aren't going to ask for it. Or, yeah, yeah. You know, they're never going to give if it's this. Well, let's let's see. Right. They would never give if we had a nine month reserve in the bank. Well, hold on. Some of my strongest funded organizations have a whole year's worth of reserve in the bank. It's it's really learning to lead donors into a deep understanding and guiding them through these conversations and helping them see that you're a good investment and that they really their mission for giving really does align with your mission. What what when you go into uh, do consulting work with some of your clients for the first time? When is there, um, when can you tell that the, they've reached a plateau because of not so much of growing their staff, but because they, they really kind of need better training. It's, so it's a training issue more mm-hmm. like to get more out of the existing staff you have versus adding more staff. How can you tell? Right. It, it's really, I mean, I can usually tell in the first conversation. Um, oftentimes I can tell from the 990. Um, like you said, that's where I always go just to see some of the, see some of the trends, see how the funding's coming in, see how they're spending money. Um, I can quickly tell that's the case, but I think it's more of a, 
kind of less numbers way of telling is, um, you know, I have a lot of leaders of organizations who have full development teams and, uh, and they're great, right? They're, but, but oftentimes that team has kind of grown up through the ranks. Maybe they used to be program people and they're, uh, they know that they know it so well. It's like, you'd be a great fundraiser. And so now they're over here and they're doing a pretty good job at writing foundation applications because they know the program so well, not too bad at, at planning events and those sort of things. And, you know, kind of say, oh, I've seen people do Facebook fundraisers. Let's default to that over there. But that's actually where or kind of why they contact me, because it's like still that's not enough money, A. B, a lot of that is restricted, that grant proposal or, you know, something like that. And so it's this sinking feeling of, I think we're leaving money on the table. I, I don't know that we are securing each of our donors' best gift. I know they're kind of responding to appeals and, you know, once in a while we get a surprise in the mail, but they're not actively leading donors to give their best gift and then really lead them to give that gift every year. And so I can quickly tell that. And, and again, it's the fundraisers like have done nothing wrong to this point, but it's just, it's so many people in the sector have not had that traditional fundraising training and experience that it's just like a, I don't know what I don't know type of scenario. Um, that's fun for me because, you know, I coach a lot of uh, executive directors, but I also and I do a lot of overhauls of, of teams to make sure they do know um, how would I create a financing plan every year that fully funds, you know, in our example, that $5 million need. Um, what does that look like? How, how would I even find top 30 donors? How would I start having those conversations? How would I know what I should stop doing so I can start doing more strategic activities that actually, you know, result in larger gifts and you know how do I align my time with the with the dollars in essence did you um when you started your company 18 months ago did you know that uh, that one of the key areas of a pro of the problem with um nonprofits reaching their plateau was the uh, unrestricted funds issue did you know that at the time yeah so so i started my business nine years ago oh nine years um, ago i'm sorry that's right that's right yeah yeah it would have been a wild last 18 months right if i would have started it i would have been right at right at the beginning yeah. of covid wouldn't it um you know it's a good question i so i've i've studied as everyone has come to me um i've really studied where they've frankly have gotten stuck and um, there's a, a statistic that just like sits right here on my shoulder that I think of all the time. And you know, 91% of nonprofits have never reached the $5 million mark. And that bothers me because my goodness, who, who have we needed more these last, you know, 15, 18 months? Yeah. Um, we have needed every one of them. And so that bothers me. And so I really, it really caused me to study where people were getting stuck. And it really does come down to um, you're stuck when you can't invest in your own growth. And when you have great vision and dreams and an amazing strategic plan, but you can't even think of executing it because you don't have either enough cash or enough unrestricted cash. 
And um, so that's what I've studied. And that's, that's the specific problem I solve. Um, and I, I see organizations really make that shift and, you know, shift organizations that have been in the red for four years. And it's like, Oh, we're in the black, right. Or um, just really move into that understanding of the types of conversations that they've got to be having with their donors because they're leaving money on the table if they aren't. Yeah. We have about three minutes left. Um, And so in the consulting assignments that you go on to address the specific issue of unrestricted um, areas, uh, 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 donations or what is the typical like steps that go involved when, what, you know, you have a, you, you, you have, I guess you have a conversation with the executive director. Uh, what, what kind of goes on in the next couple of months when you, when you get engaged? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I, I teach the methodology I teach, I teach kind of in three different ways. Uh, one to smaller organizations who are typically at that one to $2 million mark. Um, and then I teach, uh, you know, leaders of CEOs of nonprofits and their teams. Uh, and then I also do custom training programs for like national organizations who have regional presence and they want to, they really want to equip their entire national team to, to level up their giving. If like um, just national organizations or in, or in a context of a foundation cohort. Um, but the, the path is the same, whether it's the you know, 2 million or 50 million. And the path is this, the path is, do your donors know you need the money? Do they understand what you do? Are you, what are all the things you might be doing that are actually keeping it hard from donors to understand that they need to give to you? So we're looking at like, how are you articulating your annual plans? How are you driving donors into that annual, you know, annual giving mindset? Um, your programs, are you, are we talking in your programs excuse me, are we talking about what you do in a way that helps them see you're the experts that, you know, they should give their money to? Um, Do they understand what you do? And then there's that financial need aspect. Um, Are we raising to the right number in the first place? Are we honestly, do we have a $5 million need, right? Uh, When we have that, then we can actually use those things and have um, have have more you know, strategic investment level conversations and actually lead donors on a great donor experience and and plan what that experience would be for that major donor um, and lead them to an ask. And how do I do that? How, what tools do I use? What do I need to have in hand in that meeting that, you know, you really confidently can ask a donor to raise their gift? Um, and then it's about discipline and rhythms and, and you know, stop doing some things and start doing some new things. And um, then it just comes down to aligning your the staff's time with the right activities that yield the amount of dollars. Um, that's really the arc of most of my work, uh, which is which is I love doing. You ever have a client where they brought you on board, they did a tremendous job, they really, you know, over a period of time, they got a lot more unrestricted funds. And then you get a call a couple of years later and they're like, uh, we've kind of fallen back on our old ways again, mm-hmm. and we're not getting as much unrestricted. We're kind of getting going back to the original, just getting restricted funds again. Yeah. You know, um, I can't think of a specific example, but I will tell you that the biggest kind of, I guess, uh, 
sign of success, I guess I'd say, of, of organizations continuing it long term. I actually just talked about this with a client this morning is that they've actually made the time shift in their schedule. Because if it's a temporary, like, okay, now we should do this. Um, but then, you know, you aren't staying disciplined to the pipeline work, the connection work, the, the, the really exclusive, you know, hands-on um, work that is required of, um, of individual giving. If we kind of let the urgent take over the important the urgent being the applications due. It's Giving Tuesday, so we should do something. It's it's always that kind of stress between the urgent and the important. When long term, the important unrestricted relationship building work with people who you can pick up the phone and talk to when you need to, always outweighs the restrictive activities. And so, um, it's all about the discipline. You know, a lot of yeah. my clients opt into monthly calls. And sometimes I do that for years with them because they value the accountability to say well, like, yeah, I, I got to do it. You know? Yeah. I was going to say the awareness of staying on top mm-hmm. of it. I mean, I can see where, you know, if the executive director changes at the nonprofit, the leadership changes where uh, they could fall back into some bad habits again. Yeah. Um, so well, I, I listen, I think it's a very timely topic. I think I can see where a lot of the clients that Financing Solutions, my company has, where you, you see them stay at the same revenue and, you know, they think they have to go out and just hustle more and get more fund, you know, fundraising and just do more and more and more instead of growing their organization, uh, taking a different approach. So I, I think your, your topic, Sherry, is a really good one. Thank you. Thanks. I appreciate you letting me share today. Yeah. So, you know, that's all the time we have for today for today's podcast. I'd like to thank, and I know Sherry, uh, you have a white paper uh, as well. Uh, uh, you know, I, I know one. it's relatively newer. What, what is the white paper about? Yeah, the white paper. So hop on my website, quamtaylor.com. That's my maiden and married name mushed together. Um, and there's a link to the, my white paper on there that's been really popular. It's the problem with traditional fundraising and what to do instead really breaking free from a lot of the misconceptions that that we talked about today. Yep. Great. So I'd like to thank so much, Sherry, uh, from Quam Taylor LLC for coming on to today's podcast. If you like today's podcast, please feel free to share it with a friend and also subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. If you like today's podcast, please give us a review on your podcasting app to help us get the word out. The nonprofit MBA has become very, very popular. I'm very proud of that. I think we're helping a lot of people. And if you are looking for a line of credit for your nonprofit, you can please call us at 862-207-4118 or visit our website at nonprofitmbapodcast.com. Sherry, if people want to get in touch with you, uh, how would you suggest that? Yeah, hop on my website, quamtaylor.com, or they can reach out to me, which is sherry at quamtaylor.com is my email, which is S-H-E-R-R-Y at quamtaylor.com. And Quam Taylor, just so everybody has it, it'll be in our show notes, but it's Q-U-A-M-T-A-Y-L-O-R. And, yes. um, he, yep. And so, uh, you know, Sherry, thanks a lot for coming on today. And to our listeners, it's been a challenging year for everybody, but I can't think of anybody who, uh, you know, we, we need everybody to pull together to make this world a better place. And every day you guys are out in the trenches, you're doing it, uh, you know, take, 
to sometimes maybe take a step back and pat yourselves on the back, uh, mm-hmm. on the bat, take a little break and then be- get back out there. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm trying my best. I'm sure Sherry's trying her best to, to try to make the world a better place, but thank you for doing the stuff that you do. Everybody have a great Thanks, day. Man. Enjoy yourselves. Get outside. Enjoy the good weather. 